If you're new here, my name is Joel, and we have teaching from the Bible here at Emmanuel every week. We've uh, started this year with a series of messages um, with the title, We Are Emmanuel. If you were to ask the question, what, what is this church? What, what, what are you about? And maybe you are asking that question. Perhaps you're here today for the first time with that kind of a question on your mind. We, we're trying to answer that over the course of a few weeks. We're trying to cover them over time um, in the build-up to Easter. So that's, that's what we're in the middle of. Uh, we're doing it with four different headings. So we've just finished looking this last couple of weeks at the heading, Jesus Leads the Church. And we talked about how he leads the church, um, what that really means. And uh, I want to start today uh, looking over the next three Sundays at a different heading, the next of four headings, uh, and that is that everything changes except the gospel. Everything changes except the gospel. It's kind of a helpful slogan for us. It's a way of saying quite a great deal um, about the, the, the way we operate as a church. And so I want to do that by uh, today looking again at Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians that we have in the New Testament. So if you've got your Bible, you might want to turn there. I'm going to be reading to you this week from chapter 3 in just a moment. But the theme, the theme today, everything changes except the gospel, which, as I say, we'll, we'll touch on again next week and the week after that. The word gospel may be a, a, a word that's familiar but still lacks meaning for many of us. What do we refer to when we say gospel? Do we mean you know, certain kind of music? Uh, do we mean one of the four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Uh, what, what are we referring to with, with the word Gospel? The, the Gospel very simply means good news. You, you could see it as a, an announcement, a message, uh, a, 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 a great declaration. And what the Gospel declares is that Jesus, the Son of God, as King, has come to be born, to live, to die, and to rise again in order to save his enemies, even while they are his enemies. And he now, as king over everything, as lord over everything, calls the nations to turn to him in trust. That's one way of summarizing the gospel. It, it, would, uh, it wouldn't be the perfect way. There's, there's lots of different ways to say it in two or three sentences, but there you have the essence of it. And what I want to talk about today is how that gospel, that message of good news, must be the absolute foundation of a healthy church. And before we finish, the foundation of our, our individual lives as well, our own personal lives. But let's start by reading uh, these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is Paul speaking in verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, 
Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple? and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Okay, so you don't have to be a construction worker to realize that the foundations of a building are determinative. The better the foundation, the further you can go. That perhaps you could even say that you know, the deeper the foundation, the higher you can go. Generally speaking, foundations make a, a huge difference to the construction and, uh, and, and because of that, the foundations need to be paid attention to. It's, it's, it's worth us considering what is at the foundation of our lives, what's at the foundation of our, the organizations that we're a part of, that we start, that we join. Certainly, what is at the foundation of the church? What's the foundation of any given local church, as well as the, the kind of global church that God has called his people to, to be a part of? And, what this writer Paul is talking about here is the, the foundations of a church and how they, they are tested at later stages. He talks in, in verse 10 about himself as the guy who started this church in Corinth off. And he says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it, let each one take care how he builds on it. There's a note of caution. There's actually a note of caution that builds as the passage goes on. You have noticed that it gets a little bit more intense, the kind of language he starts using. Just further down in verses 12 and 13, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. I guess an illustration of this would be when uh, places uh, where there are earth tremors um, get, get construction work done, they're careful to set up the foundations really, really wisely. So places like California, if, if building companies don't do all the due diligence they possibly can to protect in the, in the situation of earthquakes, uh, they can be in serious trouble because they're, they're, not, they're not paying attention to the, the risks further down the line. To build something that looks good in its day is one thing. To build something that stays up in the evil day is quite another. When the test comes, when the earth moves, or when the fire comes, which is the, 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 the image Paul uses here, that's, that's when you see how good the foundations were. That's when you see whether it was built right, whether it was constructed on the right foundation and with the right material. And the reality is that every church will be tested. 
Every church will go through trials, difficulties, decision points. And these things will test what's at the heart of that church. What is that, what is that church really about? Why is it even there? And what have they established as foundational, deal-breaking, non-negotiables that, that will not change? No, these are the things that we build on. When that test comes, if, if, if Paul's right here, the churches that have built on the foundation, he says the only foundation the church should have, Jesus Christ. The good news, the gospel. When, when Paul refers to uh, the only foundation is Jesus Christ, and you read that in the context of this letter, you realize he's talking about this, these, this announcement that is of first importance, as he says later in chapter 15, or earlier on in chapter 1, when he says, I chose to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. The message of the gospel of how God saves people through the death and resurrection of his son. That's the only foundation that Paul will allow. That's the only right foundation for a church. Any other foundation will show itself at a later stage when that church hits the wall and nothing can be done. It, it goes all over the place or it, it can't be fruitful. It, it fails in a fundamental way. And yet the, the reality is that, that church history, and I'm, I'm talking about going back a long way, but also just, just observation about churches as you look around the world, church life can somehow, various foundations seem to be put in place as alternatives to the foundation of the gospel. We do this naturally. We do it very easily. We find ourselves creating alternative foundations. I mean, some of them would be perhaps obvious to us. We, we can build churches on the foundation, for example, of community. We can make that the foundation of a local church. Right? The thing that we believe in most of all is community. That's the most important thing. That's a good thing for sure. The Bible is very pro-community in the sense that God made it and God loves it and it's good for people to be in community. But if you make community the foundation, you'll definitely hit problems. When tests come, when struggles come, the, the ultimate decisions we make will often be on the basis of what's best for the community rather than what has God told us to do. What did God say? The way this works out practically is when churches even build around democracy, where actually the way we make decisions is on the basis of, well, everyone should have their say, and, and then whatever the people decide together, finally through a vote, is the right thing to do. And obviously that's, that's a, that is a good system of government compared to all the other bad ones that have existed in the secular sphere. Winston Churchill said democracy is the worst system of government except for all the other ones that have been tried. So democracy is, is fine, it's, it's understandably a good idea, it's a way better idea than all the others. We, we need democracy, we need it badly in a, lot of, in a lot of ways, a lot of places. I'm sure there's lots to be said for democracy, but answer me this. If democracy had been the basis of the decision on which Moses had taken the people out of Egypt into the Promised Land, would it have happened? No, it would never have happened. Not in 40 years it wouldn't have happened. Because at every point where it mattered, the people were against what God was saying. God had to keep leading them through Moses into what was good for them. God has to often lead his people in ways that we don't expect, we don't completely understand. 
And so to build on the foundation of just, well, it's just lovely to be in community. It's just nice to have community. Without the gospel of Jesus Christ being at the center, we will ultimately go around and around in circles. There'll be no purpose. There'll be no destiny. There'll be no adventure. We won't achieve what God's called us to do. It's not a good foundation. It's not the right foundation. It's a good thing, but it's not the right foundation for a local church. The second uh, alternative might be personalities. Huge personalities tend to be at the foundation of many churches. That, that can happen in kind of quite obvious ways. I've noticed now and then over the years looking at sort of church websites and church handbooks and flyers and so on that you look at it and you've got no doubts whatsoever about who is the leader of this church. Because on every page, at every point, there is a photo of the guy in his suit. Lots of action shots with his shoulder pads and his makeup and everything and his very glamorous wife. And it's kind of, we, we get the we understand what this church is built on. We get the foundation. We get, we get where this is going. Now, to be sure, it's not always the senior leader that we're talking about. Sometimes the personality that drives the church is someone that you don't get to realize until you've been in the church for a while. You might think that the leader is the leader of the church. When you've been there for a few months, realize this guy's not leading anything. He has to check everything he does with this person. There's somebody else in the church who is the personality who really has control through fear, through manipulation, through bullying. I'm telling you the worst of the world. You might be, some of you are thinking, are there really churches like this? Yes, I'm afraid there are. There have been, okay? It's been known to happen. Churches can be that unhealthy. It can be all based around a personality at the foundation of the church. It's not actually about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about someone's controlling personality. And this is obviously not the foundation that Paul will allow in Corinth, even though in the case of Corinth, it's gone dangerously that way, as you'd know if you read the whole letter. A third one is reaction. Lots of churches are built on the foundation of reaction. They're good at saying what they're not going to be. Usually they're not going to be what they, the church they came out from. Churches that get started because of church splits. We left that church and we're not going to be like them. What are you going to be like? Well, not like them. Yeah, but what are you going to be like? Um, I don't know. I haven't thought about that. What do you believe? What are, what are your foundations? Well, they're just not the same as theirs. And the church can, can actually not realize until it's too late that there's nothing of substance there. There's just a sense of reaction, sometimes a sad, bitter sense of reaction. Sometimes it's, it's, it's just a longing to keep up with the zeitgeist. Churches can be built on a foundation of what well, we, we don't want to be one of those churches that's left behind culturally. We want to be one of those churches that's really in the world. And, and, and there's lots to be said for being genuinely in the world. Jesus calls us to be in the world, but sometimes we chase that as the only thing. We make that foundational. What this church is about is being in the world, is being really in the world, genuinely in the world, completely fitting in, perfectly fitting in, and ultimately having nothing to say to the world because we've basically become the same thing. So foundations of reaction won't do either. The foundation of a particular ministry Many churches will get to the point where an important decision needs to be made. Are we going to go forward? Are we going to change this? Are we going to, are we going to spend this money? Are we going to uh, change this situation here? Are we going to make this appointment? Are we going to move these people? Are we going to set this thing up? And the ultimate answer that comes back can be no, because that would mean chopping this very important ministry 
This part of what we do as a church has become the non-negotiable. And, and really, again, it can be linked with personalities, but what you're talking about is one particular area of ministry in the church has kind of become the church. It's become the main thing. It's become the thing that cannot be questioned. It's the sacred cow. If we, if we get rid of that, what will we do? Well, that's perhaps a good question. Perhaps if you got rid of that, you'd have a chance to build on the right foundation. And sometimes churches have to do the unthinkable and say, right, this thing that has been successful and fruitful and good for many years is now going to close down. What? But that's, that's us. No, it's not. It's not us. It's something God gave us. It's a good thing. It's born fruit. But it's not us. Us, we're, we're, we've got deeper roots than that. Our foundations are in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're prepared to sometimes trim the, trim the branches a little, prune a little, because there's something bigger than just the branches. There's the whole tree that's roots go deep down into the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ministries that become very successful are a good thing and a bad thing for churches. They often become a major problem because they become unquestionable and we should always be ready about those situations. Another false foundation is simply social justice. Social justice can become the primary thing. We are so concerned about our mission in this temporary age to serve the poor, to challenge injustice, to bring uh, temporal uh, blessings to the people that God has called us to, that we end up replacing the gospel with this goal. We make this our agenda. We don't always realize we've done it, but we can end up doing it. And social justice is, is, a, is a good outworking of the gospel. We could call it different things. We could call it mercy. We could call it compassion for the poor. We could call it all kinds of different names, social action. But when this becomes the primary foundation, we've lost it. And churches go this way, I'm afraid. Churches get to the point where they've forgotten the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes it can be almost out of a chasing of public acknowledgement, public respect, public recognition. We want the world to see that we're the good guys. We want people to see that we're, we're, we're righteous, we're just people, or even you know, we're right on. We're kind of, we're in. We, we want a virtue signal. We want to make it seem as though we're, we're, the, we're the people on the right side of history. It becomes such a goal. It becomes almost idolatrous and ultimately replaces the appropriate foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A, a, a sixth one is just tradition. When churches build on a foundation of tradition, that this, you see this very, this perhaps is the most classic example. The man on the street or the woman on the street will, will easily recognize that, that churches can seem like institutions that have lost their way because ultimately they are just interested in tradition. And sometimes people like us in churches like ours can be very smug about this because, well, we're not traditional. You come to our church, it's not very traditional. I mean, we don't have stained glass windows and pipe organs. Our preacher doesn't wear a dress. We are really modern because we have drums. <laughs> We're so cutting edge. Let me tell you, there's nothing, the only thing that's worse than being 300 years out of date is being 30 years out of date. Okay? And a lot of churches think, we're not traditional. You've got no idea how traditional you are. No idea how totally closed and sucked into a, to, a, to what was kind of edgy about 20, 30 years ago you've become. 
So let's not be daft here. Let's not congratulate ourselves too quickly. Traditions in themselves are not bad, okay? Christmas is a tradition, all right? So before you start telling me that all traditions are wrong, cancel Christmas and then talk to me about it. Right? There's lots of things that we, let's be honest, we really enjoy a lot of traditions. There's some good things. They're lousy foundations for local churches. The gospel must always, always be the foundation. <clears throat> Seventh one, therapy. Therapy. We can build churches simply on feel-good. Church becomes a place where I go to get my, my felt needs met. I go to feel good about myself. The, the message has to be one that is it's kind of about you know, unconditional positive regard. I go to get self-actualized. I go to church. I'm part of the church because it makes me feel like I'm the center of everything and that I feel good about myself. And, and again, churches go down that route very easy. Some very successful, popular, large churches that you could name seem to spew out that message primarily. That's the kind of message that can come out. When you read the Bible, when you read Paul, you realize that is not what he means by the gospel. The gospel is way better than therapy, way better than feel good. It has way more to achieve than immediate self-gratification. Way more to achieve than unconditional positive regard. Come into the church. We'll improve your self-esteem. We'll boost your self-image if you come to church. We'll make you feel good about yourself. Not necessarily. At first, that might not happen. When you start reading this book, the closer you get to God, you might not immediately feel good about yourself. And then you start wanting your money back. I, I didn't come to church to feel bad about myself. Oh, you're going to... Sometimes feel bad about yourself. That's the wonderful thing is that when the, the gospel of Jesus is the foundation of the local church, yeah, you get to feel bad about yourself, but you get to feel way better about yourself than you ever could dream imaginable. But only when it's based on the true gospel of Jesus Christ and not just shallow, secular, therapeutic ideas that get baptized into a splurgy evangelicalism that doesn't discern enough to ask proper questions about the theology underneath certain ideologies. We need to ask questions. What's the message that we're preaching? Is it just to make people feel immediately good about themselves or is it the gospel of Jesus Christ? There is a difference. And we know from these words that there's one that is the appropriate foundation. You can't have both. And finally, the foundation of moralism. Churches can be built simply on keeping the rules being good. Basically, what we do as a church is we try to improve people's behavior. We try to make people better people. We, we, we do anything we can to just improve them, make them better, make them good by giving them plenty of advice, plenty of self-help. Here's, here's tips on how to improve your marriage. Here's tips on how to improve your finances. Here's tips on being a better parent. Here's tips on being successful at work. And here's the moral advice that will help you to achieve that. None of those things are bad in themselves, but friends, they are not the foundation of a healthy church. They mustn't replace the gospel of Jesus Christ as the foundation, partly because we know, and we'll talk about this again before we finish, they don't work. Ultimately, they don't. Moral advice, does it work? Has it ever helped you? Have you ever been changed truly by trying to keep the rules? Has that ever changed your heart? It has no power proven to have no power. Usually law doesn't make us better. In fact, often law makes us worse. 
So it won't do as a foundation any more than all the others. And I'm listing those to point out the many, many dangers that there are in any church life, in any organizational life, to, for us to not investigate the true foundations. This, this is, I mean, it's pretty depressing, isn't it? I'll give you a list of eight. Two or three would have been enough, you might think. You know, we get the point. It's possible to get this wrong, and you've given us eight ways we can get it wrong. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate this is a bleak picture. But there's a reason for that. We are incessant builders. It's part of our humanity. We build. You, you, you can't get any human civilization without this kind of constant there. It's just there's, a, there's this... There's this tendency from the beginning of human history for us to construct and construct and construct, not just out of necessity, not just out of shelter, but often out of monuments to ourselves, out of some kind of evidence of our greatness, some kind of justification of our own lives. We, we want to build. We are mankind the builder. When you look at the page of the Bible, you get, you get the Towers of Babel. You get Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylon. Great Babylon that I have built. It's a theme that, that you can trace through the Bible. You see it all over the place. The tendency in the human heart to want to construct something, ultimately, for our own glory, really. That's what seems to come across. You get places like in the Psalms where that verse that you might remember, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house... The builders labor in vain, unless the Lord builds the house. But we, we, as people who've separated ourselves from the Lord, are busy building, and often building things that have no reference to the Lord. They're not about what he wants. They're not his goal, his purpose, his, his plan. They're, they're ours. And even, even in the Bible, you get the, the story gradually growing through the Old Testament of the, the building of a house for God, literally a physical house, it starts off in the heart of Israel's second king, David, who it says about him, it was in my heart to build a house for God. And he, he actually says to his friend Nathan, I would like to build, I'd like to construct a temple for my God. And God meets with Nathan, speaks to him and tells David this, says, David, basically, you don't need to. You, I'm happy living in a tent. Literally, that's where God's tabernacle was at that point. It wasn't a building made of stone or wood. It was a tent, flapping canvas. That's what it was. And God says, I'm cool with that. I don't need a house, David. I don't need a big building. I know you love building things, you humans. I'm okay with a tent right now. Your son will build me one. Let's, let's, let's agree on that. You, if you want a house built for me, hand that over, delegate that to your son, Solomon. He'll build it. And so Solomon builds a temple. And Solomon prays this long prayer. In, in uh, uh, Second Chronicles, you get this long prayer of dedication. And one of uh, Solomon's great phrases is, the heavens cannot contain you, much less this building of mine. He says that in front of what was probably at the time one of the most impressive human constructions ever. Everyone would have been in awe, dazzled by the majesty of it, not just the scale, but the beauty. And Solomon stands in front of it and all the people, and he says, this is nothing. It's like a bike shed compared to what you, even the heavens cannot contain you. Solomon gets it. He knows that what he's built for God is not great really in itself. 
But the problem is when we do start building things, even things that we build for God, out of noble sentiment, out of good motive, they have a way of twisting themselves in our heart to become something that really it's more about us. And more almost a way of us kind of controlling God. That's literally what happened with Solomon's temple. It got to the point generations later where Solomon's temple was the reason almost that people were disobeying God. They were failing to keep all his laws. They were flagrantly disobeying him, worshipping other gods in fact. And, and God says, guys, if you, if you do not repent, it will go badly for you. The way that people respond to, them, to God is saying, we're fine, we've got the temple. The temple's here, it's fine. Look, the, temple, no, the temple's not going to go away. We're safe here. Almost like, you know, God, just, we don't need you. We've got the temple. Like it becomes a rabbit's foot, like it becomes some kind of superstition. The temple, the thing that was there that was supposed to point to the glory of God becomes something that almost is held in resistance towards God, rejection of God, until God does have it demolished by the Babylonians. Jesus, do you remember Jesus himself, years later, comes into Herod's temple, the rebuilt temple, and he pulls over the, the, the table, sends coins flying, and then he speaks against it, or at least he says about it, that it's going to fall down. The Romans are going to destroy it again. Why? Because the temple had stopped being about God again. It had been about man's need to be God. This is our incessant issue, friends. And when Paul, here writing to the Corinthians, says, you are God's temple, can you hear, therefore, the passion behind his voice when he says, you, you, the church in Corinth, you're God's house, you're God's temple. Now, you be careful. You be careful what you build with. You be careful about the foundations. You see, Paul knows the story. He knows the history. He knows what God will do. He even quotes, you know, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For Paul, the issue of what is at the foundation of a church is not a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of preference. Well, I like the church to be like this. Oh, do you? That's interesting. I like church to be like this. Oh, isn't it interesting that we can agree to disagree? No! It's not good enough. The church is built on the foundation, the humbling, man-humbling, God-exalting foundation of the good news, the declaration of Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead. That is the basis of the local church. If a church ever ultimately becomes about something else, that church should be terrified because there's only one appropriate foundation, Christ alone. It must be that way. No church that tries to build on another foundation has any future, has any hope. However attractive and appealing a foundation looks, however our preferences might sway us, and the temptation to make a church after our own image. We're friends, we have to, we have to live in the fear of God. That's what I'm trying to communicate. I feel, I feel the passion of Paul that I read it here. He sees the danger when a church, and he's writing to a church in Corinth where, in their case, it has been about personalities. Personalities vying for control and authority and airtime and profile. Paul's saying, don't you understand? You're talking about foundations. This will not do. God's church, God's temple, God's house. He has judged his own house before. It's not beyond him to do it again.
Build your church on the foundation of the gospel or don't build it at all. You've got to ask the question in closing, why? Why would we? Why would we be attracted to other methods? Why would we build churches on other foundations at all? Why are we, why are we suspicious of building churches on the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I'm not exaggerating. I'm here to say that's what happens. I'm afraid to say much of what the media, the public media, the mainstream media refers to as the church today, it wouldn't qualify as the church. I, I don't think I'm sticking my neck out that much in saying that. Much of what is called the church is it's led by people who don't even believe this book, who publicly denounce it, who resist it, resist the teaching of the gospel, resist the claims of Christ on his church. And do it with garb on. Do it with, 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 with ecclesial authority in public places, taking important votes about important issues. And when someone speaks up for the Bible, basically manipulating them out of the room. I'm not exaggerating. I know this is what happens. I speak to the people who get involved in those rooms, who try to speak for truth in places of ecclesial authority. They are always under fire. They are the minority in every case. Churches where there's actual life, where the gospel's being preached, where people, people are getting saved from guilt and shame and sin, churches that are flourishing, they don't have any public recognition. No, all that the public or the, the media seems interested in is what's called the church, which has gone so far from being what the church truly is. It's irrecognizable. It won't do. God's jealous for his church. He loves his church. He wants his church to, to, to shine. He wants his church to be magnificent. So we have churches that are built on gospel foundations or, or, or what are we playing at? What foolishness that is. So again, the psalm, Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone, why, what is it we do? When Peter quotes that verse on the day of Pentecost, it's interesting, he turns to those people who had crucified Jesus and he says, quoting this verse, he doesn't say the builders, he says you builders. The stone you builders rejected. You're so good at building. Mankind so good at building, constructing our towers of Babel, our temples, our religious ecclesiastical constructions. You builders, he says. The stone you builders rejected, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. He's become the cornerstone. God chose the one that was rejected. God chose the one that was rejected by men and said, I will build my church on this cornerstone, this Christ, this Savior, this crucified one. He's the foundation for everything I want to do that's good in the world for saving the world, for bringing mercy and healing to the nations, I'll do it through the one that was rejected by the sophisticated men of the age. We reject him because he renders us wrong. He renders us helpless. We're so attracted to other foundations, friends, please hear me, because the true foundation doesn't appeal to our pride. The true foundation doesn't make us look good. The true foundation humbles us. What's the true foundation? The true foundation is each one of us is in desperate need of mercy. That's the true foundation. The true foundation is not, not one of us can save ourselves. Not one of us. That's the true foundation. 
The true foundation is, is that God himself had to be crucified. Crucified. If you said that in the first century, it would sound like the worst kind of profanity. Crucifixion these days is an ornament. It's, it's jewellery. We have no idea the savageness of it. The, the God of glory was crucified. Can you think of anything more grotesque and obscene than that? And yet God chooses the most disgusting, despicable thing, a naked Jew hanging on a tree. That's how I will save the world. Everything about the gospel of Jesus Christ defeats our pride, defeats our sense of being able to save ourselves, improve ourselves by some moral, therapeutic, vague religion. Some attempt to, you know, we just go to church to feel good about ourselves, to make ourselves better, and to sometimes to sneer and look down on the people around us who are the real needy ones. Friends, the very step of going to church, if we're honest, is us saying, I am the needy one. I'm the desperately needy one. I need forgiveness. I need grace. I need mercy. I need a God who, although he has every right to punish me for my wrongdoing, chooses instead to come and die for me. That's, that's the glorious gospel. That's the only true foundation for any of us. And it's the, the wisdom of God. It's the glorious wisdom of God. It's the glorious saving power of God. See, we, we're so good as a culture at being wise. We're so good at giving our opinion. We're so good at joining the, the moral discussion, tweeting out our advice. We're so good at, at just joining in the, the general virtue signaling network that goes on. But when God comes into a situation, when God comes to save and rescue so often, it will be in ways that we would simply reject, we would despise, we would ignore him. And we have to ask ourselves, when it comes to what's the right foundation for our lives, let alone the foundation of a local church, which is the God that has power? Which is the message that's truly powerful? See, the, the wisdom of this age, people are full of, from the left and the right politically, from, from, from those who want to spread Western values and democracy all over the world and solve the world's problems, by, sometimes by starting foolish wars that just create more problems. And people on the, the left who want to save everything by, by forcing us into some, some utopian ideal, which in the end does more harm than good. We're always full of our great wisdom our great advice, our great systems of thought that will solve all of the world's problems. Friends, has anyone solved the real problem? Has anyone solved the real problem of a guilty conscience? That's the real problem. Has anyone solved the real problem of facing God at death? Who can solve that problem? Can man Solve any of these problems? Can any one of us solve a single, tiny, decimal fraction of the real problem? And this is the real problem that you face. This is your problem. You've got to face that. You've got to face that. We don't like to, but we will. Ultimately, that's the problem we will all face. Problem of right, wrong, sin, guilt, shame, all those weird old words we don't use anymore, but the only words that really make sense of our predicament. Reduce everything to just therapeutic ideas, guilt feelings. No, guilt, not guilt feelings. 
You can get tablets for guilt feelings. Guilt, there's only one person that can help you with that. And, and he's, he's come to us. He's come to rescue us. This, this is what you need desperately. This is what we all need. This is, this is the only answer for us. And I tell you, the church has to be built on this foundation alone. And when it's built on this foundation, it, it, well, we'll talk next week. We'll talk next week about how this changes everything. It changes our relationships. It changes the way we handle decisions. It changes the way we handle change. It changes how we handle new people in church life. It changes how we think about the future. It takes us off the throne and says, God, this is your house. I do not want to build in vain. I want, I want to build with precious stones. I want to build according to the foundation that you set in place. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this one foundation of Jesus Christ. We put our trust in him today. We ask you that you'd help us to build accordingly as a church and serve you faithfully and fruitfully. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.